living the word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what he wants to say to us. Livingthewordtoday.com. Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're about halfway through the chapter. But just to kind of prep our way for that, I want to go back to verse 1 and just do a little review very briefly to remind you what this chapter of God's Word is about. Chapter 11, verse 1, book of Hebrews. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The things that we don't see, we understand, and hope for is not yet arrived. But he said, what gives substance to that, what gives form to that, what uh, gives us the evidence of things that we can't see is our faith. We believe what God has said. And he's writing to a group of people, and if you look at the very top of the page, it says Hebrews up there. These were people who were of Jewish descent, who had embraced faith in Christ, and there was a, it was a time when they were facing some difficulty. They were facing some hardships because not only their Jewishness, which has been a pretty much of a constant throughout human history, but also because they were believers and followers of Jesus Christ, they also were feeling the pressure of the world around them, and he wants to give them this letter, whoever this author is, he's unnamed to help us understand that Jesus indeed is the greatest of all. Don't abandon your faith in Him because He is superior to everything and everyone. And in chapter 11, He goes through all the, hero, he, the, he, excuse me, the heroes of the Hebrews. That's a hard thing to say. The Hebrew, he, the Hebrew heroes. Uh, that they would, have, they would have, these are the guys, these are the people, these are the men and women that, that did great things. So He uses them to illustrate how they by faith honor God and how you and I, reading it all these years later, that by that same faith in the same God that we can stand and live in this world. I don't know if you sense this or not. I suspect you do. But it seems as if we as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of our Lord, we become more and more aware that the world around us is particularly hostile to our faith our beliefs, and our Savior, and as a byproduct of us who are His followers. It seems to me as if the world and our culture around us, we should not be shocked by this. It would seem to me that it gets even more hostile the further we go in history to our faith. Now, before we say, oh, woe is us, for the most part, we have it enormously easy compared to many brothers and sisters who are facing persecution today, and many who have gone before us who've faced far worse than we do. But the message is still the same. That's what I want to share with you. Faith in a hostile world is what he's talking about. And you see that in this text. As, as, we've, go, as we've gone through this chapter so far, we've seen those who've had conflicts in their family, mainly, mainly Abel and Cain. Those who lived in a, a corrupt world, Noah... Those who face the challenge of God asking them to do amazing things like Abraham and Sarah 
and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph that we looked at last week. Now we come to a man by the name of Moses in verse 23, and we look at his story, and we find a man that from the get-go, even from his birth, was in the crosshairs of the hostility of the world around him. And notice it begins in this verse, in verse 23, if you have it in front of you, by faith, Moses. And you remember I told you last time we were together that 17 times in this chapter, it begins a phrase with, by faith, by faith, by faith. Because he's wanting to tell us it's by faith that these things were accomplished. And he wants to remind all of us all of these years later that indeed it is by faith that we can live and serve and find joy and purpose in a hostile world. It's by faith. So we want to just look at this, and I want you to look at verse 23 where we begin the first portion of of a multi-part story or recounting of Moses. By the way, Moses' life is more extensive than this. I would encourage you, if you want a project this week, there would be a good one. We're just going to hit the highlights, okay? This is the highlight reel. But if you want to get into Moses' story, at least read the first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus. Fascinating story. If you haven't been through it recently, or maybe never at all, it's a, it's a great, great understanding. It brings us great understanding of what God is doing. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now the writer here assumes that the reader has the backstory of the story of Moses' birth. You can go back to the first couple chapters of Exodus and read all about it. But the fact of the matter was, for 400 years, the descendants of Abraham had been camped out, so to speak, in the land of Egypt. They went there in a famine. Joseph His story intersects with that, and he brings his father and his brothers and all their family down to Egypt to protect them during a famine. And now in the the following 400 years, they've grown from a tribe into a nation. And as the story unfolds in Exodus, the king of Egypt, namely by his title, Egyptian title, Pharaoh, becomes concerned that because of this growing population of non-natives, if you will, growing so strong. We want to control that population so that they don't become a military or a a threat to us in any way. So he gives this shocking command. Every male child that is born is to be thrown into the Nile River and destroyed. Now, apart from just the raw wickedness of that and the shocking nature of that, uh, we also understand that probably part of the backstory is This was a man who worshipped false gods, false idols. Probably this is sort of a demonic plot, once again, behind the scenes to attack the people of promise. And Moses' parents realized that as a child is on the way, that their child may be in danger. How would you like to be Jochebed, which is Moses' mother? Suddenly she discovers she's pregnant. This command is in place. I suspect she spent several months praying for a girl just because she didn't want to face this. And suddenly the baby is born, and and here we are. It says that they were not afraid of the king's command. 24, by faith Moses, excuse me, end of 23, they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. They chose to do something different than what was commanded, as they believed that God's word was superior than the word of any king. And this is a phrase I want to just insert into your thinking for a moment, and I want to continue to insert it into our thinking, and I hope it will be inserted into our lives. And here it is. When we face hostility, 
Recall what you know of God and respond accordingly. What do they know about God? Well, he's the giver of life. Pharaoh is not the one who can order the destruction of innocent children. We believe in God. We believe there's a promise. There's a promise for our people. We believe that someday we will go back to that land of promise, not knowing that Moses is the primary human agent of that at this point in time. But they believe God. It also says he was a beautiful child. Well, all babies are beautiful. Uh, It's a great way for humans to start, right? I mean, we just love little babies. But the fact that it's called out this way, and they, you know, that he wasn't speaking, he wasn't doing anything. At this point, he's, you know, three months and under. But they recognized there was something special of God's blessing. Maybe it was just he's just a baby, and that's blessing. Or maybe there was something unusual. But they, there's a there's a hint behind the scenes that they viewed him as being a person that God had given grace to and favor to. And they decided to hatch a plan. Because they stopped to recall what they knew of God. By the way, if you take that sentence you see in front of you and you reverse it. By the way, many of us have spent time in this this reversal. We respond first and we think about what God would want us to do second. Been there, done that? Paid the price for it? We just respond emotionally or what the advice is we have from the world or what we've done previously. But if we can learn the discipline, and they did, and they maybe had a little more time than sometimes we did. We do that they took a moment and just thought about, well, what, what do I know of God? He is sufficient. He is stronger than Pharaoh. Uh, this child that was born is a gift from God. We want to treat it as such, him as such. Uh, there is a promise for God's people. We're not going to be destroyed and, and maligned and damaged in this way as Egypt is going to, to, to empower over us. And we also are looking for a day when we which has been promised that God will deliver us from bondage because they were slaves in Egypt, that we will go back to a land of freedom and promise. That's what they knew of God, and then they responded accordingly. Interestingly, this is a great part of the story. They simply obeyed Pharaoh. They put their male child in the Nile River, albeit with the uh, caveat that they put him in a waterproof basket and put him over in the bulrushes and sent the sister down to watch what's happening. Now, I don't want to get to the story of, of what happens next, but just think of that. And there's a certain amount of faith in that. There's a lot of faith in that. Let's just do what we're supposed to do with all the advantages we can give him and trust his fate to God Almighty. And God already put in place an amazing plan to preserve Moses' life and to position him so that years later, 80 years later, He could become the deliverer of God's people and to fulfill the promises that they were looking at because they saw what was invisible. It was the substance of things that they did not see and could not have known, the things they hoped for. And God calls us, whatever we're dealing with life, in a hostile world to just take this moment to stop whenever we're facing, whatever we're facing, and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do I know of you? What does your word tell me? What's the spirit leading me? And I want to follow you and then respond accordingly. I don't want to respond and say, Lord, would you please come in and help me deal with the mess that I just created? So we need to do that. Now, we feel safe in here, right? I mean, we're among God's people. And we should feel safe in here. There's enough hostility out there. Uh, That's why we need to work hard to love each other and be tolerant of each other and patient with each other and forgiving of each other because we don't want to bring any hostility in here. We have enough of it out there. 
So we love each other. But when you're out there, when you're in the workplace, when you're at school, there's always the pressure. I think of our young people. I think of our, uh, those that are in their teens. And, you know, I mean, the pressures they face. You know, you want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You want to be, feel okay about yourself. And someone will come along and say, here's the way to do that. Forget about what parents say. Forget about that, that stuff you've been talking. This is the way to fun and joy and all that. And he puts that in a very positive light. What do you need to do at that moment? You need to stop and say, what can I recall about God? And then respond appropriately. I remember once when I was working, this is years ago, the place I was working, we were doing an inventory where you have to mark all the stuff that's there and write it all down, put it on a form, that sort of thing. And uh, that was before you just had barcodes where you go, doo, 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 you know, we had to actually write things down on paper. And uh, my boss came to me while I was working on it, and he basically told me, I want you to count a bunch of stuff on your inventory form that didn't actually exist in real life. Apparently, that would somehow make him look better when it all came around. And I remember thinking just for a moment, I mean, he's standing right in front of me. He tells me to do this. I'm thinking, I mean, one thing that goes through my mind, in all honesty, I need this job. Okay, we had two small kids and not much in the bank and not much coming in each week, and I need this job. But it's like, this is not right. Telling lies is one of God's top ten things you don't do, right? And I wish I could say I have a batted a thousand in that, but that moment, I thought, that went through my mind. And I remember just saying, I turned the clipboard around and I handed it to them. I said, whatever you write on that paper is your business, but I'm only going to write what is reality. He turned around and walked away. And I wrote down what was accurate. And he may have changed the numbers later. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what my fellow employees may have done. I don't really know. I just know for me it was a moment, to, just that moment of pause. What do I know about God? And I will respond appropriately. So you face it. You could, th- you could think of a thousand po- points in your life where you face those kind of decisions. And some of them are, you know, you know are minor like that. And, and, you know, maybe if I would have succumbed to that temptation, probably no one would have cared. I don't think I'd have gone to jail. Probably wouldn't have lost my job. But you always know that when you t- take that moment to think about what I recall about God, you remember he's looking. And I need to please him above everything else. You think of your own illustration in those moments and remind yourself of just this simple reality that recall what God, what you recall of God and respond accordingly. Verse 24, by faith when he came of age, became of age, refused to be called the, da- the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, I'll show you a picture of Pharaoh's daughter, uh, at least in carving form that's been uh, recovered from somewhere in Egypt. Uh, as best we can tell, and this is pretty well established because we know a lot about Egyptian history because they carved their stories in stone, hieroglyphics. A lot of ancient cultures use parchment or something like that. does not survive over the eons of time as well. So we know a lot more about Egypt because they did it in more of a permanent structure. Her name is Hap... I have to pause for this. Hap Shepput. I hope I'm even saying that correctly. And she indeed was Pharaoh's daughter. She was a daughter of Pharaoh Thutmose I. Now, the interesting thing is, because of the bits and pieces of of the story, it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You remember what happened. He's out there in that basket, and Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river. By the way, the the Nile River was the source of life physically, but also was viewed as the source of life from the gods that they served. It was sacred. Probably this was a religious, spiritual exercise to go immerse in the the, the sacred waters of the Nile, not just a hygiene thing, but a, a a ceremony of some kind. And she goes there, and 
the basket is observed and it's fetched for her and they open it up and here's this baby. She recognized it's a, a, an abandoned, quote unquote, baby from the Hebrews. She knows the story. She knows what happens. The baby cries and she takes the child to be her own. The backstory is Hatshepsut uh, could be Pharaoh if there was no other male heir, so long as the female heir had born a son. So the speculation is, and I don't know if you can 100% prove this, but if she was still waiting for a son and she goes down to the sacred Nile and she can take this baby back and say, look what the gods have delivered into my hands, I now can be Pharaoh. And later she did serve as the female Pharaoh over Egypt, according to history. God is already arranging behind the scenes what he wants to do with Moses, not only to preserve his life, but to prepare him for what is yet future. How does this happen, though, that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction. I'm not, I'm not fond of affliction, are you? I mean, if, if someone says the line to get affliction is over there, I don't think we're all going to go get in that line, right? We're going to avoid that. But he chose affliction. He chose, that's what it says. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Here's what he did. He simply did this. He recalled what he knew about God and responded accordingly. It's that same phrase. If you'll bring it back up again, I want to get it on the screen for it because I want to really impress that with you. And what did he, what did he do in this calculation? He knew that his people, his 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 real ethnicity, his real people, were the people of God. That's what it says in the text, the people of God. He understood that they were the people of promise, the people of God. Where did he learn that? Because he grew up in Pharaoh's daughter's household. Well, the rest of the story is, and this is, this, you got to love this. Miriam is there watching all this takes place when the basket comes out of the water. And she's, you know, here's the baby, and she kind of sidles up and says, could I find someone to take care of the baby for you? Because the baby at this point, you know, the only option is breastfeeding, and we need to find a child that can, or someone who can provide the child. She says, yeah, do that. She goes and gets her own mother and brings, brings her back. And she gets paid to care for her own child. Not only is Moses saved, she gets paid for it. So it's an amazing sort of thing, but I think however long that period of time lasted, there was this spiritual imparting about the people and the people of God and the promises of God and the truth of God and the reality that we are following a different God than all these deities, all these gods of the Egyptians. Don't ever underestimate your influence in children that follow you or grandchildren or people in your family that are young. Now, you know, we have all sorts of advantages, all sorts of literature and books and Christian schools and Christian education. And we have a program at church for our children, our young people. All that is valid. But not any of that comes re, re, even remotely close than the, to the spiritual impact you can have directly on the children that you're raising through your example and your words and your teaching. It's what happens in the home that is of paramount importance. And you see that in the life of Jochebed and, and, and Moses. Because at some point he made this choice. This choice to say, I'm going to be with God's people even, as, as, even in their affliction. And you recall, they were slaves. They were abused. They were oppressed. They were not free. Their lives could be eradicated at the, at the whim of a Pharaoh. Verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater, than the riches, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked for his reward. 
Now, all this fits together. And think of this part of this calculation of recalling what he knew about God was simply this. And it says, by the way, in the end of 25, it says, the passing pleasures of sin. Don't, don't go telling people that sin is not enjoyable because that's not what the Word of God says. But what the Word of God says is its enjoyableness is short-lived compared to the results of said sin, namely the judgment of Almighty God and the damage it causes in life. But was it, was it pleasurable to live as Pharaoh's daughter's son? I mean, you had the best of clothes, the best of food, best of education, the best of everything. People recognized you and gave you deference when you showed up. You had a wonderful future, whether he would be Pharaoh or not. He'd have some sort of re remarkable position. Maybe someone would have carved a statue of him someday, and we'd dig it up out of the sand. But instead, he said, rather than having a short-term benefit, I will take a short-term affliction because I'm looking for a reward that goes beyond this current experience. That's called faith. It's by faith. That's the reason it says in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's the reason it says esteeming. That's that part of recalling, figuring it out, thinking the way through what he knew to be true. The reproach of Christ. Now, it says Christ. Well, Christ doesn't come along for centuries later. But if the writer of Hebrews is now looking backwards in time, as we do, to a man who was uniquely positioned to be the deliverer of Israel from Egypt, to take them to the land of promise so that the promises of God would be fulfilled, and centuries later, through that line of people, the Savior would come, namely Jesus Christ. That's his connection to Christ. Somehow, he, even if he didn't know the specifics, he knew God was at work in this people, and he knew that not only would he be a deliverer, but the Redeemer deliverer would ultimately come. It says, for he looked for a reward. I looked for a reward. That reward was the land of promise. That, Lord, that, that reward was a coming Savior. And that, that reward was an eternity of living with God forever, avoiding the, the horror of torment forever, and also enjoying a life of purpose of serving God while he's on this earth. We sometimes make the wrong choice when we just respond without stopping to recall the place of God and the thoughts of God in our life because we sometimes look for the short-term benefit or so we think. I'll just do this. I'll cut this corner. I'll, I'll, whatever. And God calls us back. No, you look, have a longer view. You recall what you know of God and respond accordingly. Then another part of his story begins in verse 27. By faith... He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. All these verses go right back to verse 1. If you, if, you get, if you see that connection, it's important to know. Now, Moses left Egypt twice, and we've got to figure out which departure he's talking about here. He left once when he was about age 40. He tries to be the deliverer. He winds up. He, there's an Egyptian oppressing a Hebrew, and he intervenes. The, the Egyptian is killed. He realizes that, that puts him in danger with, with the authorities. He leaves. He lives out in the desert. He spends 40 years, 40 years chasing sheep around working for his father-in-law. Until the day comes when he's out there, and he sees this bush burning, and he turns aside, and God speaks to him out of this, bur this bush. And he falls, and God tells him, take off your sandals. You're walking on holy ground. And God speaks to him and says, I've heard the affliction of my people. 
and I'm, I'm going to visit them, and I'm going to deliver them. I, I could just think Moses' face down saying, yes, God, I like that. I like this. I'm all for this. And then finally he says, and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And that's when things kind of got a little difficult. The last person Moses ever wanted to see again was Pharaoh. And I'm going to send you to them. And you're going to go in there, and you're going to demand that he let my people go. Well, eventually he goes back. And the second time when he departs Egypt is after a series of plagues. And the last one we'll look at in just a moment. And he leads his people out of that land. That's the departure I think we're talking about in verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And uh, the Pharaoh was not very cooperative with the project, just to put it mildly. But why did he go in there? Why did he face Pharaoh? Why did all these things take place? Because he was seeing him who is invisible. He endured as seeing. He endured. He kept going. He didn't surrender. He didn't go back. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't fail. He didn't falter. Why? Because he endured because he was seeing that which was invisible. And in a world that is hostile to us, in a world that tells us that we should just be quiet about things of faith, why should we talk about some things are right and some things are wrong? I mean, everybody should make that up for themselves rather than as we believe, we're responsible to a God who has created us and a God who ultimately stands as the judge of all things. We live in a world that says, of course there's not just one way to heaven. There's not one way to find peace with God and all that stuff. In fact, they tell us there is no such person as God as we perceive him to be, a God who is a God, a separate person, the ultimate infinite God the God who transcends all of creation, the God who spoke it all into existence, and the God who will destroy it and remake it someday. No, God's just some sort of concept. It was in the song that you sang. This concept of it's just, it's just some idea that we, we dreamed up to make us all feel better along the way. That's the hostility we receive to our message. But why do we endure in preaching the gospel as it's delivered to us? Because we see the one who is invisible, and we do that through faith. And when sometimes we feel like we have this pressure to just muzzle our message, God calls us to simply do this. Recall what we know of God and respond accordingly. I don't think we need to be offensive. I don't think we need to be insulting. But we do need to be firm and announce what we believe and stand on it and not be bullied by the whims and the winds of hostility that are around us. May God help us to continue to do that. And then there's the last one, by faith. Verse 28, excuse me. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Well, the, the tenth of those plagues, and you can read all about them in the, in the book of Exodus, was the most devastating of all. God announced that the destroyer would come through that land and the firstborn member of every family would be killed in a single night. So every family was to be affected. And for, to those who believe God, he said, this is what you do. This is the beginning of what we know as Passover because the destroyer passed over the houses that were prepared. They were to take a lamb. It was to be slain and its blood was applied to the two side posts of the door and over the top of the door. And when that angel of destruction passed by, the houses to which the blood was applied 
were exempt from that judgment. And that's exactly what occurred. And it's so plain in its symbolism. We face the judgment, the condemnation of eternal death. Jesus' story of the rich man Lazarus described the rich man lifting up his eyes in torment. A real place, real experience. And he says, the only thing that can remedy the sin that leads to that condemnation is the blood of the supreme Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Go back to chapter 9 of this book. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. The blood of bulls and goats and all those things could not, could not suffice. It had to be the spotless Lamb of God. And he died on the cross, and that was not the end of the story. He rose again three days later to prove he was who he claimed to be. And to ascend into heaven to be our advocate, as we have already studied earlier in this book, about he prays for us and he welcomes our prayers. But it's through the blood applied. The blood has been shed. But have we made that active for us through faith? The gospel is simply this basic framework. We are separated by God because of our sin, our moral defilement. He's holy. Unless that sin is dealt with, we cannot have fellowship with Him. Jesus, fully, perfectly qualified to be our Savior, in His death on the cross, paid sin's price. All it waits is for us to believe that and accept that and make that applicable to us by claiming it in faith. You say, I can't see that. No, you can't. It's seeing the invisible. That's what he's talking about in this text. It is by faith. It's the substance of things we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. But to believe that. And uh, those of you who are in this room, it might be possible if there's someone that you have never personally accepted God's gift of salvation based on the shed blood of Christ. Or maybe you're listening to this later on a podcast or on one of our radio outlets or you know, online somewhere. But listen to this message. And simply, I would implore you, I would ask you, I would urge you, if you are not one of His children through faith in the finished, shed blood of Jesus Christ, receive Him now. Because you're not guaranteed for the rest of this day, let alone tomorrow. And I don't say that to frighten you. I say that because it's true. And if you have come to that point that you need to talk to someone, any of us on staff, you have a, maybe you have a Christian family member or friend you came with, they could talk to you, answer your questions. But more than likely, there's... This is often the case, and I've run into this over the years and even in recent days, people who come to church, even our church, and come week after week and enjoy and whatever, but they, by their own testimony, I've, I've never trusted Christ. I'm not, I'm not saved. That's sort of mind-boggling to me, but I know it to be true. And if that's you, why not let that today be the day? You can do this in the privacy of your own heart. Just tell the Lord that you believe for your eternal salvation, that the blood of Jesus Christ, that sprinkling of the blood that was pictured in the Passover is sufficient for you. If we could help, we'd love to hear if you've made that step of faith. We'd love to pray with you if you or talk to you if you need some help and fully understand. Maybe say, I just, but I have a couple questions. Bring it on. We'll try to give you an answer that comes from the pages of Scripture, not from our opinion. We'd love to help you with that.
believer in the Lord in a hostile world, whatever form it comes from, whatever direction it comes from, when we have those moments and we feel that press, recall what you know of God. Then respond to Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.